glass here, people. Did you hear something? No. Hmm. Did I? I don't know. It's Simpsons time. Today I'm going to talk about a very strange episode, to my mind. One of the really strangest ones. Political, but not political. Very funny, but a little bit outside of the humor of The Simpsons in most of it, and uncomfortably so, uh, in my opinion. But really very fascinating. I speak, of course, about Two Bad Neighbors, written by Ken Keeler, directed by Wes Archer. Episode number 141, which aired in January 1996, right in the middle of season seven. This is the episode where Homer and George Bush are neighbors and they don't like each other. Uh, and they end up in an actual physical neighbor war climaxing in a chase in the sewers. Yes, that George Bush. George Herbert Walker Bush, the first George Bush that was the president. And it's notable that when this aired, uh, most of the public did not know who George W. Bush was, although they might have known that uh, the former president had a son also called George. In fact, uh, there is a prank that Homer pulls on the former president, uh, you know, and where he's impersonating or uh, dangling cardboard likenesses of two of the sons in front of the window when George Bush doesn't have his glasses on. And he says, it's your sons, Jeb Bush and George Bush Jr. <laughs> he doesn't say George W. Bush. So that is quite interesting, uh, considering, you know, that same son who was pretty innocuous for a lot of, uh, his adult life became a two-term president and a notorious one. Um, it's also very uh, interesting and salient and notable that uh, 
the subject of an ex-president could be treated so flippantly in 1996. It says a lot, uh, not only about what The Simpsons did to kind of push boundaries, but also about the sort of the climate of comedy back then. The Simpsons at that point, of course, was extremely, I won't say renegade, you know, because by that point they were still one of the most popular shows and people had come to realize uh, that they were so brilliant. But they had reached a point where they could really do anything they wanted, and this was one of the things they wanted to do. You know, they, uh, not every sitcom would have attempted this, but I mean... There was a lot of sort of uh, ribbing of American politicians. In a super friendly way, you know? I mean, George Bush here is, they make no secret of it, uh, a parody of Mr. Wilson in Dennis the Menace and Bart is Dennis the Menace. It's very clear that that's, that that parody is being done. Many things refer to it, including Bart carrying a slingshot in his back pocket, which you see in a couple of scenes, just sort of incidentally. Uh, Bart also, when he visits, goes, hello, Mr. Bush, you know, in the manner that Dennis the Menace used to go, hello, Mr. Wilson. And even the appearance of the outside of the house has that uh, wealthy 50s sitcom luxuriousness <laughs> that we see in, in that old TV show, which I used to watch. The voice of George Bush is impersonated by Harry Shearer. Very well, I should add. Wouldn't it have been great if they had gotten Dana Carvey to do it, though? That's just something that's occurring to me just now. But that would have made it slightly different. You know, there's the feeling in this episode of it being an inside joke among people in The Simpsons. So I think... Uh, for that reason, it's appropriate that they didn't have a guest voice impersonate George Bush, the way Angela Bassett came in and did Michelle Obama many years later. In one that was not making fun of any politician at all. It was, you know, sort of a very benign portrait of her. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess that's another, you know, contrast that you can bring up. You know, Michelle Obama was a character on The Simpsons, just like George Bush was, but she was not skewered at all. Um, and George Bush was, and Clinton was too, a few times.
So, uh, the plot of this, I, I will not neglect to mention that this episode contains the song Dream Police by Cheap Trick, uh, where Apu is washing his car and playing that, you know, as like accompanying music and singing along to it in that sort of like broken English way that makes me sort of gives me the willies at this point. They were really milking the Apu voice <laughs> at that point. But what I do love is Apu's outfit, you know, that he's wearing cowboy boots and cut off shorts to wash his car and that's it, you know, no shirt. And the fact that he has such an ostentatious car. I guess it's a Thunderbird, right? Because it has the bird. It's a red car with the bird on the hood. This episode reads in part a little bit like one of the vignettes in 22 short films about Springfield. It's sort of like, greetings, everybody. We're the Simpson family, and now we're going to do something uh, that we do all the time. You know, but it's, it's sort of winky. You know, it has this inside joke feel, as I keep saying. And uh, Bart and Homer's stroll through the neighborhood in the beginning is where that is uh, most evident, I would say. So yeah, George Bush is not a president. He is a cranky old man who is annoyed by Bart throughout the episode. His wife, Barbara, is uh, plays the role of Mrs. Wilson, uh, to wit. She is indulging of Bart and uh, embarrassed by her husband's um, anger. Right up until the point where the spanking happens, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, and at that point, Homer gets involved. And then it's not Dennis the Menace anymore. It's Homer versus his neighbor, George Bush. The title of the episode, I think, is Sly. Uh, because Two Bad Neighbors is what George Bush writes on the bedsheet to supposedly get revenge, or, you know, in his version of getting revenge. He does these, like, really primitive caricatures of Bart and Homer and writes two bad neighbors on a sheet and hangs it outside his house, um, prompting his neighbors, including Dr. Hibbert, who, of course, would be friends with him to just be confused by it. Uh, but you could also argue that the two bad neighbors are Bush and Homer because they are so, you know, dead set against each other and they do such bad things to each other. You could also argue that the two bad neighbors are Bush and President Ford who moves in after Bush gives up and has to move away. And who, in a stunning reversal and a great uh, feel-good ending, ends up getting along swell with Homer uh, to 
nobody's surprised as soon as you see him. It's really great that you know what's coming. Like, of course, this is the president that Homer will get along with. They even kind of look alike. So, the rummage sale happens. I love the rummage sale. I think it is my favorite part of the episode. Um, well, we start with Homer watching TV and just being incredibly bored because Saturday afternoon TV is so bad. Um, there's some funny jokes about uh, Delaware Public Beach in there. Uh, of, I'm referring to what he's seeing on TV. Uh, and he's, you know, as he's watching, you see that he's eating Chippos and Tub, two of our favorite uh, products seen, but not spoken about in The Simpsons. And Marge urges him to drop flyers for the rummage sale, you know, to cure his boredom. And Bart comes along. And uh, that leads in seamlessly to the rummage sale after they see that the house right across the street is for sale and it's a fancy house. During the rummage sale, a giant fancy moving truck, really, really big truck. I've never seen a moving truck that big. Um, interrupts Homer's antics when he's like finally taken control of the rummage sale. I guess first Flanders when he does not have control, when he's trying to have control, sees that the house has been sold and that goes into the moving truck arriving. And so I guess that's kind of the first straw for Homer, right? Like he's annoyed that his thunder is stolen by everyone crowding around uh, to meet the new neighbor. So that's the end of the first act. The second act is taken up with uh, Bart causing mayhem. And, you know, I really always like this. Uh, Bart being destructive for absolutely no reason and all the different ways that he's sort of creatively destructive. I'm reminded of the time that he, when left alone, uh, took ketchup and mustard packets and put them on the floor and was just banging them with a hammer. And he does so many things like that. That's sort of one of my favorite aspects of Bart. Uh, so when he's let loose in uh, Mr. Bush's house. There's a lot of potential for him to do funny things. The funniest thing, of course, that he does is destroy Bush's memoirs as soon as he finishes them.
And that's sort of appropriately bland and funny, the way he is finishing his memoirs in the garage on the typewriter. And the entire book ends with, and because I accomplished all my goals in my first term, there was no need for a second. The end. <laughs> like uh, All of these pages neatly stacked in the garage immediately get destroyed by the outboard motor when Bart turns it on and it goes haywire all over the garage. Bart also like ransacks their kitchen looking for candy and does a couple other things. The memoir's destruction is the point of no return for George Bush, who picks Bart up and puts him over his knee and spanks him very gently. But that's enough, you know, and I agree that it's enough in the climate of mainstream TV to warrant both Homer and Marge being really outraged by that, you know, that somebody visited corporal punishment on their child. Uh, and so that is when the pranking begins from Homer as well. The cardboard sons are put into play. And then hoisted out of view when George Bush comes to the porch so that Bart and Homer can glue a rainbow wig on him from above. And that is so good. The visual of him wearing the rainbow wig <laughs> is so funny, uh, especially after it's cut off partially. So it's like a, you know, sort of short haired rainbow wig that he has to wear as he's delivering his speech to the Elks Club. Uh, and he's so mad that he does donuts on the Simpsons' front lawn. And that after that is when the sewer chase. The climactic sewer chase happens. Where Bart and Homer uh, unleash locusts on George Bush. <laughs> because they read about it in the Prankster's Bible, which is the Bible. I think the cloud of locusts is very funny, you know, in sort of a uh, Chuck Jones-ish way. I'm definitely reminded of Wile E. Coyote cartoons. Tex Avery too, a little bit, but the way that cloud of insects uh, makes shapes and stuff is sort of uh, is reminiscent of Chuck Jones to me. And Moreover, Bush is embarrassed after he's, uh, you know, really trying to kick Homer's ass and they're wrestling and they come out of the sewer via a manhole because Gorbachev is there and he sees all of this. And that's an also a very silly little detail that Gorbachev is there with a coffee maker with a bow on it because he wanted to give them a housewarming present. So this is the crowning humiliation and it results finally in George Bush and Barbara Bush having to move away 
So, in other words, Homer and Bart won. The two bad neighbors won. It's great also that uh, just the way Gerald Ford and Homer get along, George Bush and Flanders get along, like super well, immediately. They're talking diddly to each other and drinking lemonade as soon as they meet. So the last thing I'll talk about here, and it is going to go on for a few minutes, I think, um, because it's important to me, is the beginning. The rummage sale, I already said, was my favorite part. Um, there are so many jokes similar to uh, the swap meet that starts the B-Sharps episode. There's a lot of really funny jokes about the crap that shows up at rummage sales. Uh, including the motorized tie rack that Skinner buys, um, the Ayatollah Asahola t-shirt, which is, I don't know, it's almost an accident, you know, that such a t-shirt shows up in what's kind of a political show. It, I think it would be funnier if it was not about George Bush and the Ayatollah Asahola shirt was there. Um, Mrs. Glick is selling a candy dish for $90. Um, Flanders, when he has the microphone and is not enticing anyone to buy anything, uh, says that the Hibbert table features an artificial Christmas tree trunk only. <laughs> um, and the Simpsons are selling shirts that say, I didn't do it on it. You know, of course, a reference to an earlier episode of the failed career of Bart. And I really love all that stuff. And I love uh, the joke that runs all through the series that Homer is very talented at performance, especially things involving his voice. Uh, he's, he's got a loud, booming voice. You know, he was able to be Poochie. He was able to be the town crier. Much later, he becomes an opera singer. Um, and... Yeah, when Homer wrests the mic from Flanders, he's like the king of the swap meet, and he starts to sing the knockoff version of Hey Big Spender, which I guess they didn't get the rights to the melody of. Um, but he's like, segues perfectly into wearing his swap meet, or sorry, the uh, rummage sale outfit, which is a tuxedo with the shirt untucked and a umbrella hat. Hey, big spender, dig this blender, rainbow suspenders. You know, so good. Also, when they're looking through things in the attic to try to sell at the rummage sale, we see the bedazzled jean jacket that says Disco Stew. Uh, and that leads a few minutes later to the introduction of Disco Stew to The Simpsons. Um, and this is worth talking about. Um, the joke is, oh, I wanted, to, I wanted to write Disco Stud, but I ran out of room. Not that Disco Stew didn't get his fair share of the action. Um, 
And that on its own is so good that like, I envision a whole Simpsons universe where disco stew never exists. It's just a joke that Homer says, and you never even see a person called disco stew. Because that his saying that, that disco stew is just as much of a disco stud as young Homer was, <laughs> just creates this whole mythical character in our minds um, that the real disco stew doesn't quite live up to, even though he's funny. Um, and apparently there was kind of a dispute among the writers whether to make Disco Stew actually real or not. And they fought over the design of him. And I believe Phil Hartman was originally going to be the voice. Uh, but yeah, the pro Disco Stew being a real person, people won out, of course. And indeed, we see him in this very episode hustling along to the Table 5 chant and doing many other delightful things in his stunning debut <laughs> anyway that will be it for Simpsons time I hope you enjoyed Simpsons time for this afternoon thank you for listening The minute you walked in the joint I could see you were a man of distinction A real big spender Good looking, so refined Say, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind So let me get right to the point Incidentally, if you're ever interested in listening to Simpsons Time with the outro song Uh intact and not talked over you can always go to my archives of nazario scenario the show that originally birthed simpsons time um, and where the simpsons time archives exist in perpetuity um, go to wfmu.org slash playlists slash a n you will there find over 200 maybe even over 300 by now uh, episodes of Nazario Scenario, and most of those have Simpsons time in them. Well, hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I feel like last week's was too long. This one was the right length, so the good news is, you know, we're working things out and ever so slowly honing the format to perfection. My name is Amanda Nazario. I'm delighted to have you as my listener. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye.